are thrilled you are here with us. 100 Creatives represents a collective of individuals across creative and educational sectors that seek to learn from one another and share insights, ideas, and start conversation. We gather together at our virtual roundtable to explore the intersection of creativity and how it relates to our individual selves and also to community impact. I am your host, Angela Popplewell, and I am the CEO of 100 Cameras, a nonprofit organization that equips youth worldwide with tools to process and tell their stories through photography. Each podcast episode hosts a group of voices from members of our 100 Cameras Board of Creatives to program educators to youth participants from programs all across the world, even to special guest appearances from our brand partners and friends who share in the commitment that creativity and self-expression should be available to all. Coralie Barreau is a producer with BBC World News where she highlights critical news stories in the U.S. and abroad and produces the nightly television show BBC World News America. She's been at the front line of major news stories like the Derek Chauvin trial in the last two U.S. presidential elections and has worked in the U.K., Paris, Haiti, and Washington. As a lifelong creative, she likes to think of herself as a media for development advocate and aims to shed light on underreported stories and communities. Most recently, she's produced a documentary on the debate for reparations on the island of Grenada. Lydia Billings is a photographer, photography teacher, and the COO of 100 Cameras. She has helped build the organization to become a model that supports tens of thousands of youth worldwide and has helped lead partnerships with Apple, Fujifilm, Adobe, Framebridge, and more. Oh my goodness, Coralie, it is such a dream to have you here. I was reflecting on preparing for this conversation and I couldn't help but think of how we first met you for 100 Cameras, lucky us, but at the World Bank. It was by coincidence, I think, that that we were all there. But I love, I love reflecting on how far we've come since that that first meeting. I know it was pre-COVID before the life had changed. I had just yes. moved back to DC from London and I, my friend told me about the event and I was like, this sounds like exactly what I just went to do my master's. Like, let's, let's see these conversations in action. And I was blessed to meet you guys. And here I am a part of the 100 cameras family per se. And I'm very excited to be speaking with you both. We are as excited as well. I'm joined here by Lydia, who also really just runs everything behind the scenes at 100 cameras. And we were so thrilled with this because while we've gotten to work together with you on ideas for 100 cameras, brainstorms, seeking counsel and advice over these last few years, we haven't gotten to just sit with you and learn from your entire career arc and experience and talents and passion. So this conversation feels really special for us and also for 100 Cameras. And I'm really thankful that we'll get to share it with others and hopes it inspires them as well. Likewise. I'm like, tell us about your master's. Sorry, totally off the cuff here, but... Actually, I think the master's is a really good starting point. So... I have been working in broadcast news for since 2016, officially. Some production work before that, kind of more technical work. And I just got really lucky. I know you guys have had conversations about mentors and mentorship. I've just gotten really lucky with an amazing mentor who really just saw opportunities for me. And I got blessed to get 
an internship with the BBC back in 2016. This was right before the 2016 election. And I got thrown into the world of breaking news. Needless to say, it was a bit of a whirlwind. It's like That's your first job on a news desk was logging Trump rallies. About two years after that, I was like, I do not want to do this anymore. I, this is not for me. I felt like I was not making an impact. Most journalists go into journalism because they want to tell stories about people. And I found that I was getting a little bit swallowed into the the daily news grind. So that inspired me to really do my master's. And my master's was in media, communication, and international development. So it was really focused about how do I tell stories from the global south? Whose voice matters? Who has power? Who is the other that news organizations often reference? And yeah, that took me to London where I did a master's in that. And it reframed everything I thought about news, U.S. news media, global news media. And really, I asked critical questions like who gets to speak and why. So that was really interesting. And I kid you not, two days after I landed and back after I did my master's, I couldn't stay in London. I had to come back to D.C. Two days after I landed, I met you guys. I met I met Angela at the World Bank at a time where I didn't know what I was really doing for work. I was freelancing back with the BBC again. And that's how I came into 100 Cameras. And you guys really embodied everything I spent learning in the past year, embodied everything that I wanted to do in the future as well. So I remembered being at the presentation, texting my grad group, my girlfriends from grad school. OMG, you guys need to check out this organization. It is our degree in a nutshell. That's what took me to learning about 100 cameras and freelancing with the BBC eventually turned into a full-time gig. And I'm now a producer. Combining elements of those breaking news things that I didn't like so much, but really marrying them with what I learned in grad school and adding my own personal touch and trying to do more features. Yes. And what an important intersection that you can now bring into that space. And I first have to know, I was smiling ear to ear, really through listening to everything you shared. And then when you were saying you were texting your friends, because as soon as I was on the train back to New York from D.C., I was texting some teammates and I was like, we just met the most amazing woman. Her name's Coralie. She's a producer, but she really cares about who is speaking and why. Like I just, that resonates with me so much when you just said that, who is speaking and why. How do you see that, that intersection taking place in an impactful and sustainable way? Because I can completely imagine how stressful breaking news is and the pressures of having to produce under the title of breaking news when you don't yet have all of the information or information and data and testimonials are being thrown at you in real time and you're having to make these calls as a producer. Where do you see opportunities to bring in the ethics of thinking about who's leading this story and why and and who gets to speak? Yeah, I mean, Angela, you raise a really good point because especially in breaking news situations as a producer, many times you just go to the voice where that response fastest, go to the person whose email is in their Twitter handle, go to the person who we've had on a thousand different times. But that person isn't always the right person. And I found a lot of times, especially during the George Floyd protest, we hadn't had to have a contributor of that 
tight for so long because we were, you know, wall to wall in COVID coverage. And so we were just starting to go to, oh, let's use the Democratic panelists that we've had to talk about this and see what their thoughts are. And I really had to take a step. And I remember talking to my boss and I was thinking, okay, why is this person on? Does this person need to be on? And let's take a look at who's getting on. It's it's majority white male. At my job as an organization, we do track. We have a gender tracking. And so we try to reach 50-50, we call it, between female and male panelists. And I said, why don't we have 50-50 but for diversity. Let's, we're talking about a range of issues. Why do we have the certain same type of people on the program? I started an initiative to track diversity within the organization and just get more voices on that are a bit different to what we were used to featuring. That's incredible. It's just such a testament to why who is at the table matters and that you're able to lead that conversation and start that change. I also love having you here. I feel like normally you're probably behind the camera, so to speak, asking the questions. So your perspective is so insightful of just the inner workings of how stories are actually told that arrive in people's homes every day. And that's how people are interacting with the world around them. So I just love your perspective so much. Absolutely. If you have any behind the scenes questions, what really goes on in the newsroom? <laughs> I am your girl. But like you said, it does sound like something so obvious and it does matter. I look around my newsroom and it's not very many people that look like me. And so it feels like it's obvious. But when you have a newsroom with people who don't come from a different walk of life, I don't think they think about it as critically or it's, it's just the norm to them. So I think right. newsrooms across the across the country need to do better. And there are more push more pushes to have uh, more diversity with the newsroom because ultimately that shapes the kinds of stories that you tell and who gets to tell those types of stories and who has access to telling those types of stories. But I still think we're, we're a long way to go. It's so true. And I'm just wondering what could listeners do or the receivers of the news information do to create that not only just request of how their news is delivered and to ensure that representation is across the board and that the person telling the story is the best person to tell the story and not just the most convenient. Is there anything that you see that receivers of the information could do to start to create that demand and create that need for considering where stories are birthed from and who's delivering them and whose perspective is being uplifted and amplified. Ultimately, I think there is an appetite from viewers. There, it's, it's not that viewers don't want it. It's organizations and hiring practices. And I did an unpaid internship to get to where I am. But having unpaid internships in journalism, you're not recruiting. You're recruiting a certain type of people, people who can afford to do so. So I don't even think it's something that the viewers could do unless all viewers go on strike and, okay, we're not going to watch this news channel. We're going to watch another news channel instead. There's other news organizations. There's uh, BNC, Black News, Black News Channel. That's more of a, it's a newer network. Instead of watching CNN for two hours a day, how about we start looking elsewhere and showing that there is an appetite to look at more diverse news organizations. But I'm not sure the onus is on the viewers. I, I really think organizations 
they hold the power to change to change that. It feels part hopeful and part really not hopeful when you put it like that. And I know. I agree with you. <laughs> and I'm reflecting on how other pockets and silos of society can also contribute to leading this in a way that may ultimately influence news just by the way life is lived. I'm thinking about how some brands are really putting the concept of ethical storytelling at the forefront. And I think of not only our mission at 100 Cameras, but how some of our peers in the space are also trying to do the same. So I'm trying to lean into the hope that this can be pushed forward by ultimately the stories that are uplifted from the ground up having that at the, the forefront and the center. But yeah, I want to get back to the newsroom. I know Lydia is dying to ask a question, so I'm going to let her jump in. Coralie, you said if we have any on the cutting room floor questions we should ask. So I'm very curious. We talk a lot about creativity on this podcast. That's one of the big things we focus on. And I'd love to hear how your relationship to creativity, first of all, look like, how do you relate to creativity? Do you identify as a creative or a creative person? What does that look like for you? And what does it look like in the newsroom? How do you carve out creative space in what occurs to me, at least, as a sort of corporate traditional environment? How do you ensure that your own personal creativity and just the team in general really has room to thrive? Lydia, I mean, that's an excellent question. I 1000% identify as a creative first, maybe even more creative than journalist at times. I grew up as a dancer. And so being in the dance space, music, I did musical theater, I sang, but I did like semi-professional hip hop dancing for like, I don't know, like 15 years of my life. And I think that's where a lot of my creative ideas come from is my background in dance, my relationships to music and dance and movement um, and visuals. Like, I remember telling my mom when I was young, I was like, I think in video, like everything I think about, how can it be produced from a video perspective? I think it was a mix of me being obsessed with music videos and dancing and living my life through that. But I think when I went into journalism, I thought it would be way more creative than what it is. I thought my colleagues would be creatives that loved going out and filming and getting emphasis on different shots. And I'm finding myself to be like one of the only producers who actually cares about that. And, and that becomes really difficult because then I feel like, okay, it's up to me to get the creative juices out on the team or it's up to me to film a story that's just not your traditional, okay, shot one, shot two, wide, medium, close. And I think as a viewer, I, I would love to see more creativity within you know, the newsroom and journalism space and journalistic storytelling. But sometimes, yeah, behind the scenes, I get very, very, very frustrated. And I, then I think, okay, should I go and maybe I'm more suited for a creative agency role or an advertising role, but then... You don't necessarily get to storytell or you don't get to talk to real people in those kind of roles. So I always find myself at this weird 
crossroads of, okay, let's get the story out, but wait, let's make it interesting. And there's definitely a space for that. I think Netflix is killing it with documentary game right now. And I watch these, I watch these and I'm like, this is it. This is the middle point of creativity meets impactful storytelling. I think it's only a matter of time before we're watching a Netflix documentary or maybe Apple TV or Amazon, who knows, that you have created. I completely see this happening. Thank you. Thank you. Fingers crossed. Diving into what you were sharing about, may I dare to call it like a lack of inspiration in the newsroom setting? Would would that be an accurate labeling of that? You can definitely say that. Creative. Okay. Yeah. From lacking that creative inspiration, I'm and I'm part making an assumption here that I'm assuming that most journalists who have a connection to storytelling would identify on some level that they're a creative. And maybe that's not true for everyone. So I'll acknowledge that. But moving through with that assumption here, is it just the environment that contributes to a lack of just the space and capacity and time and bandwidth to be creative. And it just becomes, we know this formula works, this angle, this setting, pose these questions, get it done. We have a deadline to meet. Or do you think just the concept of what news has become and how journalism has taken shape contributes to that? Or is it something completely different? I think it's both, especially in the work that I do. So I out put a daily news program, there is a formula that works. A two to three and a half minute piece is what viewers were going to look for. Each piece has two to three different interviewees. There's a formula and it works. Clearly it's been working. So I think, you know, as a producer, when you're in the field that you're, if you're not being, if you're not very creative, you have a mission, you're going to the mission, you're achieving it. It's going to go on air. So I think that's one point. Another point is we have moved to this 24-hour news cycle where, yeah, you just need to get content and need to get content on air quickly. I do think there's a lot of, let's just get this on air and let's go home and call it a day. And there's not necessarily creative treatment in different things. I don't want to say that, oh, all journalists aren't creative. That's not true. You have plenty of video journalists who are creating really good content, short-form documentaries. That's great. I think I'm mainly speaking from the space that I'm in, which is daily news, the daily grind. You bring up such a good point. That's just also a representation of where society is at, like finger on the pulse, so to speak, wise of the 24-hour news cycle. And I also think of 24 hours plugged in, always connected to a screen or to a channel or to an outlet, whether it's social media or news or whatever it may be. And I think this is a bigger question for us as a society and a culture and ultimately as humans, how do we want to continue to engage with this? And I find it so interesting that it now seems in hindsight very clear, but I find it so interesting that the news is also experiencing the same thing because what I've found over the years is I want to be thoughtful and I identify as a creative writer at heart. But to constantly have to be producing content, that's oftentimes not the process of being truly creative. 
I studied like the great writers that had drafts for years before anything saw the light of day, before it made it to any kind of public forum. And so I think it's a broader question for us to consider how can we do this? Because I don't think just wishing it could go away is going to necessarily be effective. And there's a lot of fruit and beauty that can come from that connection, but it makes so much sense that the same struggle would happen within the newsroom as well. You have to produce content. The news doesn't sleep now at all, literally. Yeah. And I think story fatigue is also real. We've been covering Ukraine-Russia war. What is it? 80 days, I think I wrote today. 80 days. So things like that where you're constantly working on the same story sometimes. Yeah, it, it is difficult to just keep creative and stay creative. At the foundation of 100 Cameras is the people. From the youth we teach, to the local leaders we work alongside, and to our supporters like you who make this all possible. When we reflect on the impact we have built together, the impact is more than the measurables shown through our student course assessment. It is seeing youth believe firsthand that their voices and perspectives can lead a worldwide conversation and that their creative work can provide meaningful solutions to their surroundings. You can equip youth to process and tell their stories, impacting how they view themselves and their roles in their community. Our impact would not be possible without this passionate and determined community. Join us today at 100cameras.org backslash donate. How do you find your own personal balance of just mental health, emotional health, and I'm going to call something creative health? How do you find your balance to maintain those three elements during something, especially as tragic and ongoing as a war or insert fill in the blank these ongoing cycles that you're having to produce and ultimately tell the story so other people are educated what are some things you do to help keep yourself balanced and healthy yeah that's a great question i think especially during the pandemic where we were telling the story and living the story at the same time i found myself very, very exhausting. And as a journalist, you don't really, you can't ever really just turn off. I try to turn off and that's probably something that I do. I don't answer emails on weekends now. That's something I've done. But I think honestly, it's by making friends outside of work, staying creative and going to creative events. I think especially when I was living in London, there was a really big space to do that. And I was involved in more creative organizations that were not news related. And that's how I found myself detaching. Dance, like I said earlier, it's also been a really great outlet for me. So really, I think like it just goes down to have hobbies. <laughs> hobbies will make your life so much better. But it's really connecting with your hobbies. My surroundings and who I'm with also really helps. So finding friends who inspire me in other ways that allow me to detach from work is something that I tried to, tried to do. That reminds me of a conversation we had on a previous episode about the environment that we live in and just how our everyday environment, the people we interact with, the what we're exposed to has an impact on our creativity. And I love, Coralie, I just love hearing about the fact that you're a dancer. I had no idea. And I grew up as a ballerina and a tap dancer. And I just, it's just so fun to connect with that type of creativity in another person. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. My environment's also 
very, it really influences uh, my creative juices and how I view um, the world and how honestly it affects my mood. So switching up my environment, whether that's pitching stories that take me out of Washington, D.C., traveling, which sounds a little cliche, but honestly, it's connecting with different people, getting out of the D.C. bubble, as we call it. Even I'm sure there's a New York bubble as well. Getting out of that really, really helps me reset my, my framework because it's so easy just to get bogged down and surrounding yourself with analysts and legal writers and this. And like I said, those people are great, but they don't inspire me creatively. So get out, get out of your, get out of your hometown, get out of your work town, go out. The conversation that surrounds you is particular depending on where you live. You're right. There's like the New York bubble. There's the BC bubble. There's Angela lives in Nashville. Like I imagine all three of us are experiencing a different conversational environment in our everyday lives. So, yes. Super powerful. Yeah, I love the just get out, the emphasis of get out. And then you can fill in the blank. Get out of your physical location. Get out of where you're currently stuck, get out of a toxic relationship. I mean, you can, you can fill in the blanks there for anything, but it's such a good reminder, Coralie, the word echo chamber also comes to mind, how important it is for us as creatives and also just people to experience new environments, engage with different ways of thought, different ways of looking at the world, different experiences. It's so important. I love that. Get out. and Get out of your... Inbox on the weekend. Yes, yes. My catchphrase now. I'm thinking some countries, maybe France, it's now illegal for an employer to email their employee outside of work hours. Yes, I just find that so incredible. Yeah, talk about a different kind of environment. But Coralie, I have several questions. So I okay. So one is, I would love to hear what you are inspired by. Is there a story you're working on or something you have your focus and attention on that you're just feeling really lit up about? And this question might have the same answer and it might have a different answer, but is there a story that you would just love to produce if it didn't have to happen on the, on the news cycle? If you had all the space in the world, what would you pour your creativity into? Okay. Yeah. Honestly. So I've just finished a story that I think has probably probably go down as like one of the top stories I've done in my career. And that's been a major source of inspiration. And that's really kept me going. And it involved me getting out and changing my location, speak with communities I have never had any conversation with. So I've just produced this documentary that just aired over the weekend about the island, the Caribbean island of Grenada and the current debate there about reparations. So one of my colleagues, who's actually like a BBC anchor, who anchors the show that I work on every day, recently found out that her family owned about 1,000 slaves on the island of Grenada in the 18th century on five different plantations and received the equivalent of three million pounds when... she's she's english when slavery was abolished and now last year grenada has established a national reparations commission and there's a huge debate about reparations what that means they're calling on the monarchy to apologize for slavery which they've never done and i think that project 
really just brought to life everything I think I wanted to do. I just didn't know that I wanted to do. We went to Grenada in February, spoke with reparations committee people, historians, historical writers, schoolgirls. We were able to track down a possible descendant of one of the slaves that her ancestors could have owned. And it was really just very refreshing to be able to talk about something so candidly, to call out wrongs that have been done and to produce something that you actually feel like is making an impact. So that has been absolutely amazing. There's a podcast, TV documentary, there's an online article working on different versions. It's really also inspired me creatively. I was like, ooh, I haven't edited a podcast before. Now I get to do it. So that's the, the story of inspiration right now. Check it out. Literally wow. Googling it right now. I know. Same. Same. Can you say the name again one more time and the name of your anchor who partnered with you in this? Yeah. So I worked with Laura Trevelyan, who's a BBC anchor, and we together jointly put together the program. It's called Grenada, Confronting the Past, it's a BBC podcast documentary, and it also aired over the weekend. Yeah. And I play a part in the, the documentary as well. I'm from Haiti, presumably a descendant of slaves. I don't know any of my history. And so being in Grenada, and looking at the legacy of slavery on the island definitely impacted me professionally and personally as well. So if you listen, you might hear a familiar voice, but it was really powerful. You know, it's one of those stories that, you know, you hear this debate about reparations within the African-American community and within the Black community in the U.S., and it never really felt tangible. And then I think being there, Grenada is an island of 110,000 people. So a little bit more tangible over there. It's this was six months in the making. Usually you leave these things. Oh, I'm so happy for it to be done. And while it was a lot of work, I only fell more in love with with the project as time went on. And that's honestly not something I can say for many things. And that is the power of story making. I am processing and also literally Googling while talking at the same time. I will be watching this this week. I imagine Lydia is probably thinking the same thing, but just in awe of what you have led here and the conversation that can be started here. And you said it best just to be able to like say the truth and lean into that. And for Laura to do the same, I think that is, it's truly remarkable and it's paving a new path for what is the next right thing. While history cannot be rewritten, how can we acknowledge it, speak truth, own it, and what is the next right thing? That's that's the power of story. I have Angela. to watch this. Yeah, Angela, I think you just stole our last line of script because that's, that's what? exactly that's exactly Wait, what? what literally like the end. That was almost word for word how we end True. the piece. So well done. You can be the producer oh of the next project that I work on. Um, no, um, I want to give you a spoiler <laughs> alert. Possible. Thanks, oh, yeah, don't don't spoil it for us. We all have to watch it. Everyone listening has to watch it. Yeah, and then Lydia, to your point on stories that I would like to do, I'm still coming out of the last story that I just did. But I have a really big interest on domestic workers and workers who basically that is. Typically, people who immigrate from the global south to the global north and and work 
in people's homes. And I usually do that to send money back home. And I think I have a really big relationship to it because I, like I said, I'm from Haiti and I grew up with a nanny who was from Haiti, moved in with us. I grew up in Texas. So that's a story I really like to do. And the laws surrounding them and different countries have different attitude towards them. In many cases, they have little to no protections. And I wrote my thesis on it and speaking with people and connecting with domestic workers. I've, I've always wanted to put something like that into video or a long form podcast. I'm also really interested in migration, stories of migration. I think nobody can steal these ideas, by the way. So if you hear this, you can't steal these it. These are but. copyrighted <laughs> trademarks. <laughs> yeah. So comparing, I think, the way different migrants are treated in different areas. So especially with the, the war in Ukraine, how are Ukrainian refugees being treated in Europe versus how are refugees from South America being treat, treated in the U.S., African refugees? So I'd love to do a piece comparing first-person perspective as to the hoops, obstacles, glories that these people are going through. So these are just ideas in the pipeline, but we'll see. It is midterm year, so <laughs> we'll see what I can achieve. Yes. <laughs> The new cycle continues. Thank you for sharing a little bit of the pipeline with us. It's very exciting. And yeah, anyone listening, please, uh, hands off. <laughs> I can't wait to see and read and listen to all of this whenever it comes to fruition. Yay. It's so true. I know this is what you're meant to do. These stories and utilizing the platform you've created. It's so moving and important. I'm finding myself thinking about how in listening to what you're passionate about, your ideas, what you'd like to create, it's inspiring within me a question to you. I'm going to be asking you to put your producer hat back on a little bit here um, in answering this, but this question comes to me and it's really inspired by a conversation I just had with a former 100 camera student who actually was a guest on the podcast a few episodes before this one, episode nine. His name's Jamarian Gatt. Incredible, incredible, creative, brilliant, brilliant mind. And we were having a conversation around NFTs and I was just asking his thoughts on that. Just in general, also from just trying to always think about the 100 cameras mission, about how to do it responsibly and ethically and, and just really seeking his advice. All that to say, he said something really powerful as he was sharing his ideas and what he's working on. He was saying that during the 100 cameras program, it was one of the first times that he learned that not only can he share his ideas, but ultimately that other people would want to hear his ideas and that people may listen to his ideas. And I think something that's so powerful about your role, as complicated as it may be when it comes to storytelling and creativity, is you can be a platform that uplifts other people's ideas. And you get to be a little bit of the decision maker in that, or maybe a lot of the decision maker in that, actually. And so I'd love to just, on behalf of everyone listening and even ourselves, just understand from your perspective, how can people convince someone else that their ideas matter? And more plainly speaking, when ideas are pitched to you, how are they pitched in a way that they get your attention and that you believe that this idea should be uplifted and it should be heard. Essentially, what makes a good idea? What makes a good pitch? That's 
this sounds like a beautiful testimony from the 100 camera participant. And I always wish that I had an outlet like that. I think I went to a school where STEM was pushed, not so much creative and I creativity and ideas. But I think the key to all of this is do not pitch an idea, pitch a story. And obviously an idea is a story, but pitch something that the person you're telling to will be able to connect with. When you're, when you're taking a photograph, when your 100 camera participants are using their cameras to take pictures, they're telling a story through those pictures. They're not conveying ideas. They're telling a story. And I think that's what connects with people. And that's what, if you're creative, trying to get your pitch through the line, pitch a story. Talk about, if you want to do something on poverty, don't say, oh, I want to do something on poverty. Talk to me about somebody who's going through it. What are they feeling? What are they... What have they told you? And I find every time that I pitch a story rather than just this vague idea, it always goes a lot further. I love that. I'm taking that in. And I, I think that's really helpful advice to anyone listening who has ideas and especially ideas that they believe can contribute to a better society, a more equitable society, and a more caring society. So that's a little golden nugget for all of us. So thank you for that insight. Poorly. I feel like we got a little cheat sheet there. I think so. <laughs> Maybe. Well, goodness, we all have so much to think on and contribute and think about the stories to be told. And just thank you for your time today, Coralie, and your time always. And we really cannot wait to see all that you do in this space. Thank you, Angela. Thank you, Lydia. Can't wait to watch your Fernanda piece. We'll be uh, yes. putting that on the calendar with my husband shortly. <laughs> like, sit down, we're watching this. Love it. May we all, everyone, queue it up. Put it in your yeah. queue. <laughs> all right. Until soon, then. Thank you so much. Until soon. Thank you for being here. To see highlights from this conversation and more, visit the 100 Creatives website at www.100cameras.org backslash podcast. Until soon. Until soon.